know if you picked up on this when the readings were being read, uh, but if you look in your bulletin, you'll see that the first reading was taken from the epistle of John, John's first letter, and the gospel reading was taken from John's gospel. And this is from the apostle John, who when he wrote his gospel, he had a goal. His goal was to get the basic message of the gospel of Jesus Christ out there. He wanted to tell the story of the life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus and what that means for our lives, this gospel message, and how by the gospel message our lives can be transformed. But he had a a little different goal with his letters because he read he wrote 1st John and 2nd John and 3rd John and if you look at his letters there's a different tone to it not that he's not trying to get the gospel out there and have people's lives transformed by the gospel but it's a little different era and a little different goal because the early church now had momentum and people's lives were evolving and The church was, in a sense, beginning to grow up, but not totally. And so you see a sense where he's just putting the gospel out there in the gospel according to John. But when he writes his letters, he writes his letters, little children. And he refers to himself as the elder. Now, I'm the pastor here, but I doubt that with most of you I could get away with calling you little children. Even though I've been here for 25 years. But that's how John, now the elder, the last of the apostles around, most likely, he could get away with it. Because he was the one that was witness to the life and ministry of Jesus. He was the one that was witness to the cross and the resurrection. And he was, in fact, an elder. And he saw what was going on in the church, the evolution of the church. How people, when they first received the gospel, they were so excited. They were like little children. And you know how little children are. If you think about it, when little children hear the gospel message, they're open to the mysteries, they're open to the miracles, they're open to the truth of the gospel. Just like... They're open to their parents. And they love their parents, and their parents are the best. And then they become pre-adolescent and adolescents. And then changes happen. And that's kind of what we're talking about. Now, that doesn't happen to all pre-adolescents and adolescents. And it doesn't happen in all realms. But it's kind of what is happening here. And what's happening to the truth in people's lives? It's really interesting because if you, if you look at the epistle, if you look at John's letter again, he's talking about the children. He's saying, children, please listen to this. And if you look at the beginning of the gospel, kind of the same idea. Right at the very beginning, he says, but to those who believe, you have the power to become his children. So there's this engagement, there's this welcoming of embracing and believing what he's saying as a child. 
accepting it. All the mysteries, all the truth. But we know what happens. When we want to believe what we want to believe and want to do what we want to do and establish our independence, we don't always do it that way. I mean, just think about children just for a second. Think about when you were children, if you can remember. And I don't know if you did this. I remember little snippets of putting on my dad's shoes. And they were huge. You know, playing dress up like my dad. And I remember saying the things that my dad and mom said, you know. Remember doing that? Because you looked up to your parents. And you wanted in some ways to be like your parents. And you wanted to emulate your parents. And maybe you even wanted to be like them. And Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. Because his father was perfect and his father was perfect love. And he lived that way and he embraced that life. And what he was saying to his followers is, that's what I want for you too. I want you to understand this perfect love. I want you to embrace this gospel. I want your lives to be transformed and I want you to embrace this. Don't compromise. Don't make your life complicated. Don't corrupt the relationships in your lives. Just embrace this love. This sacrificial love. And your lives will be transformed. You'll understand God's grace for yourself and for other people. That's what he was inviting. But then you see as this reading unfolds in 1 John 3 that he starts talking about sin. And not only sin, because he, he talks about sin as we should be sinless. But what he's actually saying is not just we should be sinless because everybody sins, and he knows that. And he starts off his letter, 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He recognizes we all sin. He's talking about a lifestyle. He's talking about embracing sin. That's what he's getting into in 1 John 3. And the first word he uses is this word lawlessness. It's kind of like when sin becomes chronic in your life. There's a chronic sin that you have embraced. You basically say, you know what? This is really not what God wants for me. This really isn't one of his commandments. Or you bend the law, you bend the rule, you make your own up. And in effect, you're saying, that doesn't work for me, so it's really not God's law. It's not God's rule. And you, in that realm, at least, if not others, and you begin to compromise, you show yourself to be a lawless person. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 6. He's saying... By the time he gets there, that there are people saying, hey, if when we sin, grace abounds, you know, we're forgiven, it's all cool. Then why not sin? Because God forgives us, no big deal, and grace abounds, so it's a great deal for everybody. And both Paul and John are saying that's not how it works. 
If you really understand the love of God breaking into your life, if you really understand forgiveness, much like Jesus said in the upper room, if you love me, you will see, you will obey my commandments. You will seek to follow me in all ways. You're not going to be lawless in certain areas. You're not going to have chronic sin in your life. You know, think about areas in your life that you might have a chronic problem. Maybe you have migraines. Maybe you have arthritis. Maybe you have diabetes. That's a chronic problem in your life and an area in your life. Do you like that? Probably not. Let's say that you have cancer. Now, none of those are of your own doing. I understand that. But nobody wants to have a chronic health problem in their life. Nobody. See, chronic sin is the same way. We may not recognize it. We have a tendency to say, well, it really doesn't hurt me. Or it really doesn't hurt somebody else. And so it's okay. And God forgives me anyway. See, there's that lawless mentality. There's that chronic sin that has crept into our lives. And so we become lawless and that can expand. And it affects our relationships. And very much related to that, Paul, or John says that it abides with us. Jesus would talk about abiding with him. That he is the vine, we are the branches, and we are meant to abide with him. That he will make our home with us. That see, what happens when we begin to have chronic sin in our lives, we accommodate that sin. It makes its home with us. And we basically accommodate our lives around it. You know, it's almost like living with an alcoholic. We enable that alcoholic in our house or that drug addict in our house. We have secrets, family secrets, which is what AA often will talk about. See, because we hide that part of our lives of people we don't really want them to know about that part of our lives. The family secrets. And we become enablers of that lifestyle. We protect. We live with it. The only difference is, is it's our lives. We enable that. We accommodate that sin in our lives, instead of practicing what is called tough love. Another word for it is discipline or discipleship. Saying instead of accommodating the sin and abiding with sin, I want to abide with the Lord. I want to allow the Holy Spirit to invade my life and change me. So that I'm not accommodating sin I'm accommodating the Lord's presence. And I'm being transformed by His grace. Otherwise, John goes on to say, we're in denial. We're in denial. 
that we let others deceive us. He says, let no one deceive you. Paul says the same thing. Let no one deceive you. Because what ends up happening when other people deceive us and we allow ourselves to be deceived over time, we deceive ourselves. Once again, going back to the earlier part of John's letter. 1 John 1, 8. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then 1 John 1, 9, but... If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There it is. There it is. He wants to forgive us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to transform us. But what ends up happening, this progression of lawlessness and chronic sin that we accommodate and we enable, that abides with us, that then we go into denial We are deceived by others to start, whether it be Satan or the world or the culture. And then we kick into our own self-deception. 12 in Scripture, there's the use of the mirror to teach a truth about this. The letter of James talks about how in James 1, people look in the mirror and then they turn around and walk away and they forget what they saw. Did you ever do that, by the way? And it's not because we forget what we saw. We don't want to remember what we saw. I don't know about you. I do that. You know, gain a few pounds and say, yeah, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm going to have ice cream for dessert anyway. Or... Meredith came home from watching uh, Owen when Owen was first born with our daughter Bethany, our first grandchild. And, you know, whether this is just coincidence or it just happened at the same time or whether I got it from her, it really doesn't matter. But Meredith came home with a sty. And the next morning I woke up, I had a sty. And I looked like Cyclops. And I had to go to, you know, out that day, and I'm, and I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I look awful. And, and she got eye drops, so I used the eye drops, and then I actually went to the doctor and got on an antibiotic just so I would look reasonable. And then I kept saying, oh, you look fine. I didn't want to look in a mirror. I just convinced myself I look fine. You know how that is? When you really don't look that good, you just want to convince yourself you look good enough to go out. And you, and you want to dodge looking in a mirror. James says we look in the mirror and we turn away and we forget what we saw because we don't want to remember. And really the way God intends it is that Scripture is meant to be the mirror. Because it's meant to point out the truth in our lives. But see, we want to point out our own. There's the self-deception. Or we want to listen to the culture or to the world or to what other people tell us. Instead of the truth of our lives. And we go before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to be transformed. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to acquiesce. 
Or 1 Corinthians 13, the other passage about the mirror. It's known as the love chapter, where we read love is patient and love is kind and love is not jealous or boastful. Love is not self-seeking. And further on down, Paul says, now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't see everything. And part of the reason is, is because we are constantly confronted by the culture, by other people who have their own agendas, by our peers. And we need the Word of God and we need the power of the Holy Spirit to see clearly. To see clearly. So that we're not accommodating sin. And we're not deceived. That's the reality. That's why there's a connection to truth. That's what John does early in his letter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because he wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know the power of his grace and his love. You know, we're in this season we call Easter. And really the church is in the season of Easter. Where it's after the cross and after the resurrection. And we have the confidence that Jesus has defeated the power over sin and death. We don't have to dwell in that. We don't have to abide in that because we have the power of the resurrection. And when we isolate and pull back, we can deceive ourselves. It's in worship, it's in fellowship, and it's in Bible study with other people. That we have the support and we have the mirror. That we can see more clearly. That we have the accountability that we need. In the Gospel reading, Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. That word know in Scripture is such a powerful word. It's a word of intimacy. It's a word of caring. It's not just head knowledge. It's an intimate relationship. It's a love relationship. That's what it is. And see, what we don't realize is in Scripture, and towards the end of the reading for today, you can look at it later in John, there's this word purity that's used. You know what's interesting is the words holy and pure are almost dirty words in our culture today. They really are. It's almost ironic. Whereas those words are beautiful words because God's love is holy. God's love is pure and you can't separate the two. See, when we come to know him, that intimate relationship, the knowledge is that we understand the depth and the power of his love that transforms us. That's the knowledge. And then we become more and more like him because we know him. And there's the holiness. And it's that love and the holiness, the purity coming together that give the love, the depth and the power. That transforms us and empowers us to have a love of integrity and strength to love other people with His kind of love. 
And we miss that. We miss it. See, if our love is a holy love, it burns. It has strength. It has integrity. It has the ability to sacrifice. And we are transformed. You know what's interesting? I remember, I mean, we're going back only 40 years, right? When those of us that were still virgins, we were made fun of in our early 20s. You know, like if, if, if you are today in your early 20s and you're still a virgin, there is something wrong with you. That's how much culture has changed. It's not about purity. Because people misunderstand God's kind of love and the strength of his love. And holiness and purity. Because people want to accommodate. And people are deceived. Instead of holding up the mirror of God's word and say, I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. I want to live with his kind of love, which is pure, which has depth, which has strength, which has integrity. That's God's kind of love. To be Christ-like. His love and His holiness cannot be separated because God is love and God is holy. And if we would be His child, we have to bring them together. And we will more and more be a blessing to those around us when we love with that kind of love. When we understand what it means to truly be a child of God. In the image of Jesus Christ. You know, that's the kind of husband I want to be. That's the kind of father I want to be. That's the kind of Christian I want to be. And oh, by the way, that's the kind of grandfather I want to be. Now that that fits into the picture. Let me close with this. You know, it's really interesting is that when Bethany and Charlie, our daughter Bethany, and our son-in-law told us that um, they were going to name their child Owen Gregory. This was back around Thanksgiving. And they told us why they were going to name the child Owen Gregory. Owen is like Charlie's great-great-grandfather who came over from Ireland. And they said, Gregory, of course, is after you. And I said, and of course, an impish smile on my face. I said, well, I'm going to call him Greg. And I said, and I'm going to train him up to be just like me. But I would only do that if I could live with that holy love. 
Let's pray. Lord God, your word says that we love because he first loved us and gave his life as a ransom. Because his love is pure and holy. Because his love has the power to transform us. Lord, help us to understand the gift of the love of Jesus and the power of the cross and the resurrection. To defeat the power of sin and death in our lives. That we would no longer seek to accommodate or acquiesce or abide in sin, deceiving ourselves. That we would seek to be one who confesses sin. To be transformed by the power of the gospel, the power of your grace and love. And to be like our Father in heaven. To be like your Son, Jesus Christ. And live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.